Our guest today is Robert Davi, an award-winning actor, screenwriter, director, producer, and jazz vocalist. Now, from his portrayal of the opera-singing bad guy in The Goonies, and one of the most popular James Bond villains in License to Kill, to the FBI Special Agent Big Johnson in Die Hard, to most recently Leo Marx in The Iceman. Now, Robert Davi is one of the film's industry's most recognized tough guys, and he has also starred on the small screen in hit shows like Profiler, Stargate Atlantis, Criminal Minds, and CSI. And with over 140 film and TV credits, he has frightened us, romanced us, made us cry or split our seams laughing. Well, he is also one of the top vocalists of our day in interpreting the great American songbook, thrilling audiences by playing top venues like the Venetian in Las Vegas where he headlines or for 10,000 people at the Harry Chapin Theater in East Meadow, Long Island, or the Orleans in Vegas where he gave three sold-out shows with Don Rickles. In his debut album, Davi Sings Sinatra on the Road to Romance, Produced by Phil Ramone, shot to number six for more than several weeks on Billboard's jazz charts. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome legendary award-winning actor and singer Robert Davi to the show. Welcome, Robert. Thank you for having me, Ward. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a great honor to have you on the show, and I've got to kick this off. When did you start singing? Well, the singing started, I first heard, I mean, I always loved the music. And I always pretended, even as a kid in the basement on Long Island, where I grew up, listening to those, I used to put on those old wind-up records and listening to, you know, the, the Sinatra and the opera, the great Caruso and other guys. And um, in eighth grade, they discovered, in church actually, I had a voice that came out. And then later on in high school, around 10th grade, I was singing in the shower after football practice. Because I was a I was a really good football player. We Eubank came to see me play, and uh, I was flirting with that. I was also in the drama club and winning awards for acting, first place New York State. And I was singing in the shower after football practice one day, and a, one of the roommates came to me and said, "Robert," he says, "Sister Gabriel Gerard wants to talk to you about what? She wants it. She heard you singing." I go, Shh, "Don't tell her it's me." He goes, "I already did." You got to go talk to her. So anyway, so I went over to the, the door like this, cracked open the door, and I looked at the nun and, yes, sister, you know, with a towel around. She says, is that you singing? Yes, sister. I want you to come to Glee Club. And then I basically told her, well, sister, I, I have a full schedule. Thank you very much for the invitation, but I won't be able to do that. Well, being a persistent sister, she called my mom. And now you call an Italian mom, a nun calls her, and tells that your son has a, has a voice. So my mom worked on me. She says, why don't you try it? Glee Club. And, you know, the name Glee Club for me didn't respond right away. I go, Mom, I'm just too busy. She says, try it. You never know. You might like it. Well, I did. And uh, I noticed in the classroom there were about four or five guys and the rest about 20 girls. And I said to myself, well, this is not bad, you know, being in the Glee Club here. Um, at least I could maybe get a date out of it. Who knows? Anyway... I started to sing in it. I won awards. First place, New York State School Music Association. The nun got me an, a coach, an opera coach, uh, to work with a singing teacher. And then I just went on fire with it and uh, studied in Florence with Tito Gobi, one of the, the Marlon Brando of the opera world, and was uh, thinking of that 
at the same time, I was acting. I went to Hofstra University BFA program and then studied with Stella Adler in New York, one of the great acting teachers, and then got in the actor's studio and did, wound up doing my first film with Sinatra. But that was my foray into singing or discovering the uh, love for singing. Well, did you damage, you know, I've read a story where did you damage your vocal cords because you were actually going to sing opera or in baritone? I was a baritone with the heart of a tenor. And because I had a high B flat with like a trumpet sound and I could have, who knows, I could have eventually when I got older transitioned into tenor. But I love those tenor arias because they were the romantic arias. The baritones played the... The, the you know the bad guy so um but they had great arias of course so i i was pushing the voice on the on the, the they call it the tessitura a baritone has a tessitura f from here and then let's say the uh the uh the, the, the tenor has it from here you know what i mean and uh where the break in the voice is about a, an f or a g uh, baritone is like an e or a d and um, I pushed the voice and I did strain the voice. And that's when I wrote Tito Gobi the letter. And then Gobi got me the guy at Juilliard, Dan Farrow. But at that time, I was often running with the, the music, uh, with, the, with the acting. I was filming and I, I didn't want to then say, all right, what am I going to do? I'm going to do compromaria roles for five years, 10 years, you know, hit the circuit. And then eventually. Uh, so I always thought that at some point I'd make the transition after the film world. But yes, you did your research. I did damage the voice, yes. Well, I also read where Quincy Jones stated that he never heard anyone come this close to Sinatra's sound and still be yourself. And he, and I quote him, Robert Davi has the voice, the tone, the flavor, and the swagger. I would say that's a pretty high compliment from one of the greatest music producers of all time. Yes, you know, and then he went on and he said he touched me down to my soul. And uh, Quincy came to my show with 17 people. And then the next day I got phone calls saying, did you see what Quincy put on his Facebook page? I said, no. And I saw and it was this wonderful uh, endorsement and quote and appreciation. And don't forget, Quincy knew Sinatra very well and worked with Sinatra and, um, in the mid-50s. Uh, and then subsequently produced albums with him and did much work with him. So that was, as a matter of fact, Quincy's arrangement of Fly Me to the Moon that Sinatra did is the first thing they played on the moon. Um, if they did go to the moon or not, we don't know, but <laughs> it's always that controversy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you were cast, of course, yeah, you were yeah, cast opposite. But, no, go ahead, Robert. Go ahead. No, so that was, yeah, that was a stunning, stunning endorsement from Quincy Jones. And uh, I directed a film in 2008 called The Dukes with me and Chaz Palminteri about a doo-wop group. And I sing one song in that. And uh, that's where people started to encourage me to go back to the music. But I wanted to do the Great American Songbook, which I call the Shakespeare of America. Yeah, well, that makes sense because... You know, I understand that you were cast opposite of Frank Sinatra in Contract on Cherry Street. Uh, was that not only your first connection to Frank Sinatra, 
Did you get to sing a line or two with him? Well, first off, I think in utero I heard Sinatra singing, you know. And in an Italian family, my family was from Sicily and Naples. Uh, there were two figures, the Pope and Sinatra, and not necessarily in that order. And I had, um, of course, a huge appreciation of uh, Sinatra's music and who he was as an actor and as a human being. And I did not want to impose my... What we spoke about were was actually the opera and classical music, i.e. Gustav Mahler, Shostakovich. We had a both big appreciation and I had a big understanding of of classical music and he loved ca uh, classical music and had also studied the opera. That's what he uh, put into the, into popular music was the bel canto technique. And that's why he was not considered a crooner, but a singer because there's a certain an emotional attachment that the, uh, that the bel canto technique gives to singers. And I also call Sinatra the first method singer. So no, we did not, I did not want to, you know, hey, Frank, let me sing for you. It wasn't that, no. Well, you know, how, you know, you talk about where you're, you started singing at a young age, uh, and then you got into acting. Did both of those talents cross one another at the same time, where you eventually paid more attention to the acting? Well, no, I, I, I was paying a lot of attention to the acting, actually. When, when, the, when, I, when, I, the, when, the, when I stretched out the voice, strained my voice, I then, and at the same time, I was concurrently doing the acting. I was at Hofstra and then with Stella Adler in New York, who taught Brando and De Niro, and I got into the actor's studio, and I was doing a lot of plays. And I did not want to do the opera the way I had seen it being done, because it was a very theatrical uh, 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 approach to it so I wanted to at some point my thinking was I will do the acting and then I will be able to have the clout to put a different kind of opera performance together uh, I still have a, a faraway scent of doing that but basically now the American songbook has been something because it's pure romance in all the aspects and uh, eventually I'll probably, uh, in my show, sometimes I do show tunes, I'll transfigure into uh, The Man of La Mancha or to Fiddler on the Roof or Devia or something. Sometimes I'll do those sh at a show. Uh, and uh, But right now, it's just focused on the American Songbook. And well, I focused on the acting at well, you know, your album came out in 2011. Do you plan on coming out with another full album soon? I'll be out next year. I'm almost finished with it. I've got, it's, it, it's, uh, I won't tell you the title, but I've got uh, about nine songs completed with, you know, we did a Capitol Records in East West, two big studios in LA with a uh, uh, big orchestra. And I've got the last several tunes that Phil Ramone, who produced my album. I did a demo at Capitol to see if I wanted to do this in 2010, 2009. And the word around Capitol Studios is, who's this guy singing? And somebody played it for Phil Ramone, and then he got in touch with me and said, I'd like to produce your album. And the head of Disney, Bob Cavallo, uh, I brought it to him, and uh, 
right away. Uh, and he was a big manager, Prince, Earth, Wind & Fire, Atlantis Morissette. And he became a, the head of Hollywood Records and Disney Music. And he was a big champion of mine, along with Quincy and, and Phil Ramone. And uh, that then gave me the, uh, the impetus to throw my hat in the ring, so to speak, or my, let's say my voice, so to speak. Well, you have one incredible voice, and I know that you have, coming up on December 3rd in Boca Raton, Florida, Davi, My Kind of Town. You're going to be doing two shows. What would you like to tell your fans about that show in Boca? Well, that it'll be my first shows really in Florida since I've come to Florida, and that I've been traveling the world, and they probably don't know. I mean, most people don't know of the, the music, although, you know, I've... I've Traveled the world. I mean, the United Nations, I, they chose me to do the informative, the transformative power of music. I was in Macau. I, I, I've done jazz festivals in Australia, in Italy, uh, 6,000 people in Estonia, Latvia, Finland, uh, Sweden, um, all over, all over England, all over the place. And um, I, I had come to Florida. Most of my, my, my players are in, in Los Angeles the best guys around. So I had to put a team together here in Florida. And these will be my first shows in the uh, Sunshine State. And I hope people come out and uh, get the experience of, uh, uh, of what I give, which is not just the singing, but a background of uh, film history and storytelling and my relationship over the years with many people and with Sinatra. Well, you had three sellout shows in Vegas with Don Rickles. What was that experience like? Well, Don and I, we did four shows, actually, I believe. But Don had heard about me and heard me sing and knew I had a strong connection to Frank. And the guys used to talk about my acting, you know, because also Sinatra was friends with Cubby Broccoli when I did the Bond film and everything else. But... Uh, the manager of, uh, of Don Rickles had heard me sing, and he also managed Sinatra before he died and stuff, when Jilly Rizzo had passed away and another guy had left. Uh, and he had told Don about me, and Don knew me, of course, as an actor, and then heard my singing and wanted to do shows with me. And we were supposed to do shows earlier, but he had gotten sick. And it was a year later that he went back on the road, and he says, I want Dobby to do the shows with me because he wanted to give me that imperato or bragging rights or whatever. And we wound up doing the shows. And the, the last show uh, was a Sunday night. And then Monday morning, Don went into the hospital. He did the shows where he wasn't, you know, he was, he was already having some issues. But he wanted to perform with me. And we did these shows. He went into the hospital the next day. And uh, that was the last time he did his show where he stood up. He did it from sitting down and showing clips from then on. Um, but it was great to work with Don. Well, did he share with you any Frank legends. Sinatra stories? Oh, yeah. we have, There's many Sinatra stories <laughs> that we all have, you know, that, that I and that Don has. And, you know, he, he always talks about that one story, you know, his famous story. But, uh, you know, Frank and his mother, it was his Frank's mother that hounded his mother to go see him, uh, to go see Don Rickles at the Fountain Blue. I don't know if you know that story. No. Um, huh. And uh, 
So with the it was the mothers that got together, that 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 had Frank, then pay attention to Don Rickles. Yeah, I love Don Rickles' humor. All right, so, I mean, today, you know, I would love to see him go at it today with all this woke shit. Excuse my French. <laughs> I I know. I, I think they would try to cancel Don Rickles with the way he always did his uh, stand-up and routine. Oh, he was he was hysterically brutal. And no one was no one was safe. No one was safe. I mean, he was just an original and one of a kind and a very kind person. Yeah, I think his I think his routine was almost like a, a nightly roast. You could say that, yes. He would see someone in the audience and he would go for him. You know, it was like a a buzzard ready to pick at someone. <laughs> well, it was, it I have, was to, I have to, yeah, I have to ask you, Robert, because uh, as you had mentioned before, you studied acting under renowned acting coaches, Stella Adler, as well as Lee Strasberg. Is there anything in particular they taught you that helped you to, or shaped you as a person outside of acting? Of course, everything that Stella Adler did, was to educate you as a human being because the actor or the artist is first a human being and whatever sensitizes you to the world around you you bring to whatever you're interpreting and um it it was lifting the idea from uh, a mundane let's say a mundane, uh, superficial landscape to taking what you're seeing and bringing it into this epic sensibility of what it means in the world and what it means to humanity. So, and that's lifting the idea, it's called. And it's what fills you in a certain way that why audiences sometimes respond deeper to other performances. And uh, the, the script interpretation class, uh, everything she did was really, so no matter what you did in life, perhaps, uh, it would help you. As a matter of fact, I had done Goonies with Spielberg and Donna, don't forget. And I, uh, I was with Stella in the 70s, but every time she came out to, 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 uh, to California, you know, I'd do her, I'd be in the workshop and I'd love watching her work with students and stuff. And um, I told Spielberg, actually, I recommended to him that he should take Stella Adler's class. And I believe him and Amy Amy Irvin at the time, he was with her, they wound up taking Stella's class. Um, I don't know if he remembers that, but I did. I said, it'd be important for you to take her class. You're technically a genius, but this other thing in terms of a script class would give you another very powerful tool and um, uh, that's she was was quite a very spiritual person, very very unique. Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny because the top my three all-time favorite films, not not technically that they're cinematic marvels, but Spielberg's Duel is one of my favorite. 
because I love it when an actor has to act by himself with no stimulus around him. So, and Dennis Weaver did that job very, very well. And of course, I think Jaws, the original, is a lesson in filmmaking. And of course, you know, Die Hard, believe it or not, is really one of my all-time favorite films because it's just fun to watch. Uh, but you've starred in some iconic films like The Goonies and Die Hard and License to Kill, just to name a few. Which film do your fans mention the most when they meet you? Well, first of Die Hard was John McTiernan. Ah, who yes. directed that. And um, the uh, it's 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 depending on what pocket of fans we're at and where in the world. There's many different, many different. Uh, there is a a uh, <coughs> excuse me. I had a sneeze. There is a uh, wide range of Goonie fans all over the world for many ages uh, because they've showed their kids. And it's funny, when we did that film, Dick Donner, Dick Donner had said, this will be like The Wizard of Oz. It'll be played. And he said that before we started shooting. And he was right about that, Dick. He was a wonderful director and a wonderful person, Dick Donner. And uh, Goonies has an over overriding uh, fan base, but also Bond being the most successful series in the history of cinema. And Die Hard as an action Christmas film, uh, again, has another, as the showgirls and some of the other films I have done in different genres, even television things. So some people, I, I ran into somebody the other day, at the, I went to get a haircut two days ago, and a woman is sitting there and goes, oh my God, Bailey Malone. I love Profiler, you know, so you have that. And uh, I think Josh Brolin one time was on uh, Jimmy Fallon's show. And Jimmy Fallon had the, uh, the bandana that, 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 that Josh wore in Goonies on. And he gave Josh the bandana Goonies. And they asked him that same question. Of the films you've done, what is the most one? He goes, hands down, Goonies. Strangely enough, Goonies is that film that uh, is is just a, uh, a. I met a very, let's say, the J Axe of Italy called Jay Z. He's a very famous uh, musician in Italy, uh, highly regarded and very intelligent. And through mutual friends, they he was coming to New York and he wanted to meet me. And um, so I meet him in Little Italy, and he then wants to do a, uh, he's doing a music video, he'd like me to be in it. And then he subsequently shows me his tattoos, and he had tattoos of Goonies. And he said to me, Robert, you have to understand, Goonies is more important to me than war and peace. Italy is the Goonies of Europe, and uh, it meant so much to him and to a lot of people in Italy. And uh, it's funny how that that they they also re-released it theatrically in Italy last year, around this time of the year, and um, it's it's and look, and I've done films that have you have to just go with it. Well, yeah, you know? and it, there's been rumors and, uh, for years. Are we going to see a Goonies two? 
God only knows, Ward. You know, they, they've been putting that up there for, forever. Everybody would like to do it. Everybody talked about it. But I don't know if it's if it's in the cards or not. I'm not sure what, what's happening with that. Well, you know, uh, I, had... I do know. Um... Yeah, go ahead. No, no. Um, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I, I, it, was, it was really it was it was kind of funny. The other day, uh, a friend of mine, uh, actress Tracy Melchior from the soap opera Bold and Beautiful and Beverly Hills Cop. I told her I was interviewing you and literally the first thing out of her mouth was you got to ask him, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? How many times do you hear that? Well, it's funny. I was recently, I did a concert in London. At, they, had a, they had a screening of Die Hard. And they had me and John McTernan come down and they asked me to do a concert. Last song I sang was Let It Snow. And um, the question was, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Now, for years, I have said, look, Christmas movies are, are, are a different vibe. You know, Wonderful Life to me. Uh, or they're Christ-centric. And, uh, but that being said, I remember Die Hard. There is a Christ aspect to, to Bruce Willis running around barefoot and bleeding. You know what I mean? There is something there that has a certain kind of sacrificial aspect to it. And then I see that the pouring of people saying Die Hard is their favorite Christmas film. Uh, so at the end of this little concert, I said, over the years, I've seen the residual checks every holiday season go up. So if you're going to ask me if Die Hard is a Christmas movie, absolutely. And all my kids, thank you. So it's, it's a, you know. I, a, I, I love that. I, and, you, and you played the lead villain in the James Bond film, License to Kill. How does it feel to be considered as one of the top Bond villains of all time? Well, that's, you know, there's many, many lists and some of the big lists I'm listed very, very highly on that. You know, people have their personal horse in the race, um, but quite a few people, a guy named John Murr, a very pop culture writer, listed me way up there and wrote a wonderful essay on it all. And um, and it was really the the father, I call the Timothy Dalton, the father of Daniel Craig and uh, of that era of uh, of we were the most grittiest bond, which wasn't accepted at the time. But now as people rediscover it, it's like getting much more. Uh, and I'd rather have that. I'd rather have a film that starts to speak to the time than opposed to saying, hey, it's an old fashioned. Let's leave it over there. Um, and I'm very proud of that. Cubby Broccoli was a great guy, great man, him and his wife, Dana, who championed me uh, for that film. They saw a they saw a movie I had done, and uh, Richard Maybaum called up Cubby Broccoli and said, Cubby, put on Channel 2. He says, I've got it on. And then he said to him, and Richard Maybaum had written all the Bond films till then, he says, that's the new Bond villain. Cubby said, I think so too. And they called me in the next day and offered me the part. Uh, no audition, nothing like that. And I had met Cubby a year before through his daughter, Tina, who was a huge fan of Goonies. Oh, my dad will love you. You're from Astoria, Queens, where my dad was from. So we had dinner at the Bistro Gardens, and uh, that was it. That was it. And uh, Cubby had talked to Frank, 
and the studios were going, you know, let's use this, let's use that, and he's all kinds of stuff. And him and Frank, I guess, were talking, and because I had that relationship with him, he says, go with the Italian kid. Was there any other choice? And, you know, so that was, uh, it was a great time to do that. It's fun. Well, with over 100 motion pictures on your resume, which film director did you learn the most from? And who did you like working with the most? Well, you know, even as a young boy, I watched Italian cinema very early on. The Sica Fellini, Antonioni Rossellini, uh, Jean-Pierre Melville, you know, all the greats, Louis uh, Bunel. I, I, I loved foreign cinema and I loved American cinema. And I would look at the greats. And I never looked at just the performance of the actor. I looked at the overall filmmaking thing. And then over the years, you learn from everyone you work with. I've worked with great cinematographers. I've worked with great directors. And I've learned with not so great cinematographers and great directors. But you learn from everyone, whether it's not what to do or whether they're lacking in something. And uh, with the people you work with, and if you sponge it all, you, it's a, it's a, you, 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 everyone is a mentor. And that could be from a key grip, plugging in a light to the craft service guy. I think in life we have to respect everyone's, uh, you can respect it, you can accept it or reject it. But you never know where something of value is going to come from and from who. Well, what was your toughest audition? Toughest audition in what in what way? Uh, maybe stretching you out of your comfort comfort zone. Uh, or you're just a natural born actor. <laughs> Well, thank God I was blessed and I was trained very intensely. And um, look, at I, I did a film. The one that got me the Bond film, actually, was a movie called Terrorist on Trial, the United States of America versus Salim Ajami, that George Englund produced. And he was, George Englund was Marlon Brando and Paul Newman's best friend and ran their companies. George had produced and directed The Ugly American with Marlon, who I knew. I was very friendly with Marlon through Stella Adler, and then we did Christopher Columbus together. Uh, but uh, in 1987, I did this where I played a Palestinian kidnapped by the United States to stand trial for acts of terrorism. And uh, here I am, a Catholic guy, not understanding anything about it. And I played this thing and got tremendous, tremendous reviews. And that's what caught the attention of Richard Maybaum and Cubby that offered me this other thing, the bond. Um, so it's, it's uh, over the years, it's it's... I, I don't think I found anything daunting as a, in terms of a tough audition. But what you do find is whether they're going to accept you or not. For instance, when I did Profiler, I had done feature films. I was not looking for a television series at the time. But Profiler came along and it was something new. They had not done anything about profiling in the FBI yet. And it was a great character. And I, you know, the producers wanted me, Ian Sander and Kim Moses, wanted me right off the bat. And then I had to read for the network. And 
that was always like, you know, okay, read for the network. So they could say no, you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, so I, I, I went in and they really said, we please read for the network, please. You got to, and I reluctantly went in, read for the network. And I, I know I, I killed it. And they came out and what it was, was <laughs> I was too intense. In other words, in TV, they don't want so intense. They want a guy that you want to tune in every week, and they want to know you could be this way, that way. So I was le- Sorry, that's a plane up there. Oh, that's all so right. I, I said to them, no, forget it. I said, forget about it. I don't want to do it. I'm done. I was leaving, and they said, please, please just go in there. Show them you could be charming. I go, is that what it is? They want to see charm? I go, son of a bitch. All right, I'll show them charm. So I went in and I took a di- different adjustment for it. And I had them laughing and I had them this and I had them that. And I got, I finished it and they said, thank you. You've got the part. They told me right there and then. So it was like, you know, uh, it, it, sometimes an actor takes a part, you know, and, and, you're, and you're playing the reality of it. And sometimes you have to look at, and that taught me something. That taught me something. It did teach me something. As frustrating and as uh, arrogant as I was in terms of my response when they said do it again, it did teach me something in terms of uh, uh, you don't have to be so edgy with it at times. You know, it's it's something else. And I'm quite edgy already. <laughs> well, now that the and actors... I recently did a film. Yeah, go ahead. I recently... I recently did a film just before the strike of all places in Tel Aviv and in Slovakia based on a true story, ni- uh, 1942 in Slovakia, Bardeov, where I play an Orthodox Jew who saves over 300 girls from Auschwitz. And it's a small independent film, but a very powerful and very topical movie for today. Is that available to see? And then I've got a new TV series. Yeah, I know. Uh, We just finished it. Well, let let me ask you about that film. Is that film available to see on streaming now? No, no, we just finished it. They just had the edit. It comes out in March. Oh, fantastic. Now, I and like you were saying, I know that you just, uh, you're about to debut a brand new TV series, Paper Empire. Uh, was that filmed before yes. the strike? Oh, yeah. And we're supposed to go back. We've been waiting for the strike to end so we can go back and finish some filming. So we're waiting to, to get those dates. But uh, we have a, a bunch of episodes in the can, and we got to go in and finish it. And uh, so I hope to hear when we go back, hopefully right after my shows in December. Well, I, I can't wait to see it. Do you know when uh, Paper Empire is going to debut? I don't yet. No, I know that they're negotiating with a streaming service now. And, uh, you know, those negotiations are always tenuous. And uh, it's push and pull. And so we'll see. But it's a it's a groundbreaking show with a great cast. Uh, Robert Gillings directed and produced it, along with Michael Tadros Jr. And uh, Denise Richards plays my wife. Kelsey Grammer's in it. Carol Alt, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., Wesley Snipes. We've got a very good cast. 
And you're the lead character. Yes, I play a character named Lawrence Finch, who creates, created Bitcoin and is frustrated the way the world is going and what the financial world wants to do. And I create a financial Armageddon. I can't wait so to see it. So it's a bit it. of that journey. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait to see it that series because be. I love binge watching. Yeah, I know. That's the new thing. Me too. <laughs> it's great. I remember the old days, man. It's nothing worse than back in the day when I was growing up, right? And you'd have to wait for the next week. And then there'd be a preemptiveness and you'd have to wait. Nowadays, you watch a show and you go, holy, this is great. And you're staying up till four in the morning, one more episode. And then you wake up the next day and you're watching more until you, you finish, you know, four seasons in like, you know, four days. You know, I, I kind of miss the times when, you know, our favorite shows would, would air on a Tuesday evening or a Thursday or a Friday. And you already had your week set by, your, by the TV guide. I kind of miss those days a little bit. Yeah, there is. There was a communal conversation about what you saw the night and the anticipation of it. There was something wonderful about it. I, I, but, you know, the whole world has changed, man. I grew up in the, you know, I was a child. I was born in the 50s. And America has, has just, it feels like it's a record that's on skipping, that's skipping. <laughs> and we're skipping over a bunch of, uh, missing a, a lot of, a lot of, it's, it's, it's strange. It it very is very much so. What are what are some of your favorite shows to binge watch at the moment? Well, I watched Tulsa King. I loved it. I like Tulsa King. You know, Sly's thing. I watched that thing about that woman uh, that was on Ozark. Who's that actress that was on Ozark? She was the, 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 my wife loved that name. show. Yeah. yeah. I never watched it. My wife loved yeah. it. Yeah, it was good. I, we liked it. Um, I forget what else, uh, I forget what it was. Uh, you know, she's the woman that, that scammed people out of money in New York city society. She pretended she was a society thing. And I forget the name. We watched that. Uh, but now I'm watching a lot of documentaries. I, I watched a documentary actually about relics around the world that we binge watched. And that was very interesting. And, you know, binge watch The Chosen. We enjoy that a lot. Um, and um, Yeah, that's my, one of my daughter's you know, favorite series is The Chosen. Yeah, yeah. We, we My wife loves it. I love it. And, um, no, there's quite a good... There's so much, I, I forget all of it, but there's a lot of good stuff. <laughs> you know, I love the fact that you love watching documentaries because I had the opportunity to interview Nancy Olson Livingston. She's now 95. She did a lot of Disney films. Uh, she did uh, Sunset Boulevard. And I talked with George Stevens Jr. And they both said the same thing. Four actors increase your knowledge, increase your education of those things around you and never stop learning because it actually adds to your ability to act. 
You agree with that? Absolutely. That's the whole lesson from Stella Adler that I was trying to say, and you said it better in a sentence. But that's basically what it is. Yes. Well, I understand that you do a lot of charity work. Why is that important to you? Well, you know, giving back is important. I mean, it's I like to do it quietly, and uh, it depends on what people ask and what certain ones. And it's just, you know, it's it's uh, if if anything, look, I'm for the individual, the individual, not for big government. I'm for the individual, and the individual has to pick up the slack. And if you know, so it's it's. It's just something that uh, if you can help in some way, you, you, you do whatever you can to help. Well, I also read about you, Robert, that you received the FBI's Man of the Year Award in L.A., as well as also being named a Citizen of the Week for saving a young girl from a fire in her home. Uh, pretty heroic. Uh, can you kind of give us a story about that? Well, it was uh, a neighbor's girl and... Uh, I was at home and her sister ran over to the house and said, the uh, gas thing blew up and Savannah's inside. The little girl was inside. And uh, so I ran over there and, uh, you know, just made sure she got out of the house. That was all. So how many, uh, so now that the actor strike is over, how many projects do you have in the works all at one time? Well, what's in the works is right now is Paper Empire. I'm supposed to do another film in February. We'll see if that happens. And there's a few other uh, things circling the wagons. And uh, finish the album, of course. That's primary. Uh, but right now, that's that's what's on the plate. You know, every every day brings something new or every week can bring something new. Well, it has been an absolute honor. And, and ladies and gentlemen, Robert Davi will be performing two shows in Boca Raton, Florida on December 3rd. Davi, my kind of town. So go to bocablackbox.com and get your tickets now. You don't want to miss his show. You don't want to miss his voice and his presence because it will astound you. And also head over to davisingsinatra.com. For all things Robert Davi, and I want to thank you, Robert, for your for your time today and sharing us your singing as well as your acting. Well, Ward, thank you so much for a great interview. It's great seeing you, and uh, have a wonderful Thanksgiving and a and a you know holiday season, Christmas and Hanukkah, and uh, God bless you and your family. Well, many blessings to you and your family and have a happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas. And when you get that album done, you got to come back on so we can talk about it. That'd be great. I'd love to do that. Yeah, well, we should have it. It's almost done. We're compiling everything now. I've got to do, like I said, we're going to go in and do about three more songs. Uh, but that's what the, I have everything. I have stuff with a big orchestra and a big, uh, it's a varied kind of album. Uh, thing and um, so yeah the minute that's done I will uh, let you know and uh, we'll we'll hit it up again I'd love to do that and you can play some tracks hey that'll be great because uh, you always have an open invitation to, to, to come back onto the show 
I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. Very welcome. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, again, I'm going to repeat this for you. Robert Davi will be performing two shows in Boca Raton, Florida, this December 3rd. Davi, my kind of town. So head over to BocaBlackBox.com to get your tickets right now and to learn more uh, and, well, become a new fan again and again. DaviSingSinatra.com. And as for me, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching and listening. But catch the replay of my interview with actor-singer Robert Davi on both our YouTube channels, the Dr. Ward Bond channel, as well as Bond on Cinema. And as for me, well, I'm Bond, Ward Bond, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>